Hi, I'm your host, Kelly Joe, and this is the Nourished Motherhood Podcast, a show dedicated to bringing together the voices of motherhood and helping women connect with others and themselves through the power of sharing honest, vulnerable stories. Because every woman deserves to have a place where her voice is heard. We believe that supporting mothers is one of the healthiest things we can do for our society. There's a balance of beauty and grit to be found in every woman's story. And we're so honored you're here to listen, connect, and grow with us. Let's dive in. Okay, guys, I'm so excited because today we've got Emily Conley for our Voices of Motherhood episode. Emily is a copywriter for heart-centered coaches and online service providers. She lives in Nashville with her husband and three-year-old daughter. When she's not writing websites, sales pages, and emails, Emily loves reading, being outside, and adventuring with her family. I had so much fun sitting down with Emily and having this conversation. Her story of motherhood is just filled with grace, so much wisdom. And, you know, she shares about her journey with PCOS and her health leading up to her pregnancy. She shares about giving birth on the other side of the world away from her family, her community. And she she really just shares the discovery that she's had over the last few years of really finding joy in the mundane elements or moments of motherhood and the simplicity. So I know you're going to have just really appreciate her story and be able to relate with her on so many levels. And she is just an amazing woman. And I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So let's dive in. Emily, welcome. And I just really am excited to hear your story. This is one of our Voices of Motherhood episodes, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have you on our show. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here as well. Uh, Well, I would love to just like jump in some of your background, help people get to know you a little bit. So can you tell me what does life look like for you right now? Oh, yes. Okay. So I am currently a copywriter, which obviously, you know, I've been working with you closely. A fantastic copywriter. (laughs) Like talk about getting into my voice and just really, (laughs) wow, you have such a gift. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful working with you as well. But yeah, so I own my own business, which means I have a lot of flexibility, which is really nice this stage in life. So I have a three-year-old daughter. My husband and my daughter and I live outside Nashville, Tennessee. My husband also works full-time from home. So we're both home all the time together, which is really fun most of the time. It's slightly annoying you know, every now and then. And then my daughter's home for part of the week, and then she's going to like preschool for part of the week. So that's been a godsend because we pulled her out of preschool back in March of 2020. And yeah, she was home with us. We were both working full-time at home with her full-time at home for over a year, which was super challenging, but also one of the just like sweetest times. You know, it was like from her from two to three, and we all got to kind of experience that as a really tight-knit family, which is really unusual. So I'm actually really grateful for it, but also it was really hard. Oh my gosh. That is so cool. I I mean, I think that's a lot of us feel that who work from home or we're forced to work from home during the pandemic, but just the sweet time that we will never get back that we just got to invest in our kids and the relationship is really special. Yeah, absolutely. It was really fun to be like a little team. Like we did everything, the three of us, which was yeah, really sweet. How has that year prepared you for where you guys are at today? 
where you're still both working at home full-time, what have you learned? Has there been any tips or tricks you've learned along the way to make life a little easier? Yeah, I let go of a lot of my rules. So just learning to have some grace with myself and be like, you know what, if I have a client call and I have to have a meeting and my husband also has a meeting at that same time, like it's not going to be the end of the world if my three-year-old watches, you know, a show. Before I think I would have, I felt very uh, guilty about that and just had a lot of rules in place. And so I think we've just really loosened up and been like, hey, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. We have to do what we have to do. Right. But I think too, it's made me a lot more intentional with my time. So I think before like pre-pandemic or like during that pandemic time, like I was really bad about like trying to work while I was with my daughter. And then my daughter was running around my office while I was trying to work and things just got really like, yeah. Yeah. And you're not doing anything well. And so I think moving forward, the thing we've gotten really good at is being really intentional and like, when she's in preschool, it's like full steam ahead, get all the work done. And then that way, when she's home, I actually can be fully present with her, which is really nice for all of us. That is so cool. And I love what you said too, of grace. You learn to have some grace with yourself because I feel like we have, especially as moms in our culture, just such high expectations of our own selves too, that are debilitating and it sucks the joy out of the room. Right. And it's not fun for our kids. It's not fun for us or our spouse. So that's, I really love that. Yeah. Sucking the joy out. That's exactly what it does. (laughs) Wow. Well, okay. Let's Well, I want to know a little bit more about what are like some things currently inspiring you as a mom, as a copywriter, what's inspiring you? I think I'm feeling like the summer always makes me feel very adventurous and just like wanting to enjoy being outside. I find like, I mean, I don't live in that beautiful, like, you know, I'm in central Tennessee. So like there's some like hills and stuff. There's not that much beautiful nature around us, but there are a lot of parks and a lot of outside stuff. And so that's been just really fun for me this summer. I think I've been really inspired by like the childhood experience and like just doing simple things like having a picnic in our own backyard or going to the pool or exploring a new park and just really enjoying those simple things and seeing them through. Right. So my daughter's three and a half and, and she's, really expressive and like really, you know, this is the first year she's been able to, I don't know, like really show off her personality, you know, and she's really growing into herself. And so I just have felt very inspired by like simple childhood. We grew up always playing outside and going to national parks and a lot of nature stuff. And so I think just reconnecting with that through her experience has been really fun this summer. That is so cool. It sounds really life-giving too. Yesterday we had a heat wave up here in Alaska. And so we went to Target, we got all these water balloons and squirt guns, and we just had so much fun in the backyard and we were just laughing and playing. And I just, there's something about having a kid, right? That kind of draws that out of you where I think we take ourselves too seriously most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like that's what you're really learning in this season. And this, even this summer is just to not take yourself too seriously, you know, even through the pandemic, right? Like your daughter's in and out of the office and just to have grace and play more. That's really cool. Yeah. Lots of play. Yeah. It's been really, it's been very life-giving and very 
I don't know. I think before I felt like I had to be like on an international trip to really be like adventuring like that, to you know, to me, like adventure was, you know, going to Bali or like whatever, which is great and fun. And those things are wonderful. But also I think finding that really simple adventure and pleasure has been really great. That is so cool. I feel like that's a lot of motherhood too, is there's a lot of mundane moments, right? There's a lot of dirty house, dishes, diapers, and just to be able to find the joy and the simplicity, I think is, it's, I think it's a key to actually enjoying motherhood. Would you agree? I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're just miserable. And I think I struggled with that at first. I was used to having a really exciting life. We were always, you know, doing really exciting kind of like big adventurous things. And that was really hard for me to adjust to. It was like, well, how is this fun? Like I have a, you know, a three month old on a little blanket in front of me, like rolling around and like learning to actually be like, oh, she rolled over. And like, this is now exciting, you know, like those little things that was really hard for me at first, but I'm glad that I'm kind of, I mean, it's taken me like three years to get here, but I think I've adjusted. Yeah. But that's the journey, right? We are becoming, you don't just right when your child's born. So is a mother and it's this whole, just as they're developing, we're developing and growing. And so I think so true, but we don't talk about that enough. I don't think. No, never. I was just having this conversation with my husband when we were we were just in Cancun and we were waiting in the at the airport. It was a hot mess. And we were leaving on a Saturday and it was just there's ignorant people everywhere and mad people everywhere and like just, you know, traveling. And we were standing in the line and I was like, you know, I'm so glad we're not doing this with Charlotte. We she didn't come with us. And I was like, this is you know, so much easier without her. But then we were talking about the times we have traveled with her. And I was like, you know, I always thought that like you became a mother and you just became selfless. Mothers just do all these selfless things for their kids. And I was like, you know, I finally realized like you do them, but like you, that doesn't mean you feel great about it. Like I thought you just were like, oh, I'm ready to give my life away. And it's like, oh no, I do all these selfless things for my child. But a lot of times I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> I don't like love doing it. And it doesn't come naturally. It's just, I'm going to do it because she's my kid and I'm going to take care of her. But that selfless like nature does not. I, so some people, I think it does come naturally. To me, it does not. And it's definitely been a thing that's been growing for the last three years. Oh, I am right there with you. I thought I was way more patient, selfless, but you can give me a screaming toddler in the middle of the night and I'm like sleep deprived or just awaken out of a dead sleep. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. not a nice person. And I, it's a challenge, but I think it's such a beautiful part of like growing and becoming even more of a beautiful person. For sure. I just wish I had known that like other people also felt not great about doing the things you have to do. Like, I just had no idea. I thought everyone else was waking up at 4am, you know, to like put their three-year-old back in bed and be like, Oh, sweetheart, let's go. And uh, most people don't feel that way. And it's okay. Yeah. And I think our our society portrays that maybe even more so because of social media, because we see all maybe the glamorous parts of a day, but we don't talk enough about some of maybe the difficult parts and not that we want to get stuck in those like hard moments, but I think it's important to know we're not alone at the same time. There's not something wrong with us if we experience them. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's it. It's like knowing that you're not alone. 
that that's not life. You know, those are just little moments. Those are the heart, like those things really are the small little interludes. And most of it really is at this point, like actually pretty fun and pretty enjoyable. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. So let's back up. When did you know you wanted to be a mom or was that even on the table? Yeah. So I did not think I really wanted to have kids for most of my adult life. I'd been, so I was like diagnosed with PCOS when I was like 17 or 18. And I'd been told for most of my life, you know, young adult life that like, I probably wouldn't be able to have kids or that it would be really hard. And I don't know if I just internalized that and was like, oh, this probably isn't on the table for me. So, but I also just didn't have that like feeling. I was like, Nah, I love kids. I have a niece and a nephew. I love, like, I was a teacher. I've worked with kids in lots of different capacities. Really love kids, but had no desire to really be a mom. And then it was funny. I was actually at the aquarium in Sydney where we were living at the time on Mother's Day. My mom was visiting. So it was Mother's Day. She wanted to go to the aquarium. So it was me and my husband and my mom. And I saw, I just saw these families and these kids. And I was like, oh. I want that. Like, I, I want that. And it was so funny. Cause I was like, I'm not, how am I going to tell Donnie? Like, I think we'd been married for like three years at the time, two and a half years. I don't know. And we both were like, eh, we don't want kids right now. He really did want kids, but like later and he's younger than I am. So he had even more time. And so I was like, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. And then that night Donnie was like, you know, it's really weird. Like we're at the aquarium today. I just really thought like, that could be really fun. Like I could be a dad. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had the exact same thought. And it was so funny. So I had made an appointment to go see a, for, to go see a doctor to talk about like fertility treatment and like what we were going to do and all of this stuff. And then I actually turned out, I was like pregnant like that day. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, I, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Cause then I kind of changed my mind and I was like, I think I'll be ready to try in a year. So I'm going to go see the doctor. Like I'm going to keep this appointment, but I don't think now's the time. So like, I'll go talk to her. And I was like, too late. Oh <laughs> you're, you're good to go. So yeah. okay, hold on. So let me just back up. So you, first of all, you were in Sydney, right? So yes. what were you doing in Sydney? Yeah. So my husband works for Dell computers and in sales and he, they have an office in, they have offices all over the world and they had one in Sydney and we had been married at the time for like 18 months. And like I said, we, you know, kids weren't really part of our plan and life was just, we had really like gone from when we were dating, we traveled a bunch, we went to concerts, we had, you know, we hung out with our friends. We like, were very active. I and mean, we were young. I was like 26 he was 24. Like we were, you know, in our young to mid twenties and then we got married and we were like, Oh, now we're like at home. We like built this beautiful house in the suburbs and we just never left. <laughs> we just like stayed home. We didn't do anything. We loved being together. And so we just like chilled at home. It was, it was good. It was fun. We were happy, but we just were like, what has life become? Like it's gotten so dull. And I was working in a job where I was working like 45 to 60 hours a week. And it was just a lot. And so we kind of found out that this, oh, hey, you could go check out other offices. And so we started looking into it and then it all kind of just spiraled. And all of a sudden we were moving to Australia. So we sold our house we had just built and all of our furniture and our cars and moved. We'd never been to Australia. 
Wow. We knew no one. We, we were just like, let's go. And it was amazing. So yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So you were in Australia and then you guys were just living life, having fun, all of that. And then all of a sudden you guys go to the aquarium and you both individually have this like, oh, we want a family kind of dream. And then, but you were already pregnant. Well, no, I wasn't already oh, pregnant. So I like, I literally, I think I like got pregnant then. I mean, not to like put these oh. too specific, but <laughs> it was such a God thing. So like it was, I, I, we always joke that it was like, God knew he had like a short window of me being interested and in being a mom. It was like, well, we got to make this happen. Like that's always, our awesome. but yeah. So I was literally, I felt like that for about two days. And then I was like, Oh no, like I'm not really ready. Yeah. And then I found out I was pregnant like three days before I was supposed to go see my OB and I had to call and I was like, I need to change this appointment from a fertility appointment to like, I'm already pregnant and need an actual doctor appointment. So that was fun. That is, how wild is that? I love that. That's just, so, you know, in your mind, you thought you couldn't get pregnant because of your PCOS diagnosis. Had you ever done anything to like treat your PCOS or to make your body more healthy? Or what was that journey like for you? Yeah. So that's a whole other, I mean, we can have a whole podcast on that, but (laughs) yeah, when I was in the U S you know, like at first they were just kind of like, this is how it is. They put me on a really extreme, well, I don't say extreme. It was like a I can't even remember what it was called. They put me on a specific birth control to help with the PCOS symptoms, right? Which then I got really bad gallstones and then had my gallbladder removed as like a 20-year-old. Wow. Which is not great. So I stopped taking that. So like I hadn't, and they had tried, you know, like I'd been prescribed metformin, but I was like, I don't want to take this. So I had never really taken it. And no, I really hadn't done much. And no one had ever spoken to me And I mean, I went, you know, that was a decade of my life that I was here and no one had ever spoken to me about how I ate, about my lifestyle. And like when I was in high school, I was really active. I was, I mean, I looked healthy from the outside, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't feeding myself. I was feeding myself the way a 17 year old would. (laughs) So, and like through college, you know, like I looked healthy, I think from the outside, but I really wasn't. And then as I got older, I had struggled with a lot of weight gain as I moved into my twenties and yeah, I'd gotten to a really awful place. And one doctor one time was like, you should just never eat any, you can never eat any carbs, like zero. You can never have any carbs. I was like, I don't really know about this. She was like, you just can't like, that's the only thing that'll ever work for you. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So it was like a whole thing. So then when I moved to Australia, we didn't have a car. So we walked everywhere. And the bus was like, I don't know, a 15 minute walk from my house. So even if I was taking the bus somewhere, I walked, you know, half an hour round trip. So I was just, and we joined a gym and then the food is just different there. Like the meats processed differently. And I don't know, we had access to a lot better produce and we just made a conscious effort to just start eating in a very like balanced way. It wasn't really anything dramatic, but we were like, you know we have to walk everywhere and it's really hard when you're really overweight. So like we need to help ourselves. And so I had lost about 80 pounds. Um, yeah, like over seven or eight. No, it was longer than that. It was probably about a year, but it wasn't, it just kind of happened. Like it was the easiest 
it was really easy because I just changed the way I was living, which was really great. And I think that's what, I mean, obviously that made a big difference because I got pregnant very quickly and very easily and had a very healthy till the very end, very healthy, like simple problem-free pregnancy. So. Wow. That's amazing. I love too that. I think sometimes when we get so focused on our health, you know, whatever the challenge is that it almost, it makes it a lot harder, but it sounds like you were just doing things to feed yourself, make small changes and that that actually had such a profound impact, but it didn't come with the stress or the, I don't know, the pressure maybe. I feel like so much, I mean, I've had my own health journey and just the pressure to be healthier, feel well, or lose weight or can almost stifle the growth. And so absolutely, that's really cool to hear your journey. Yeah, it was, I mean, I'm really proud of it. And like, and it's a journey, right? Cause then we moved oh, back yes. and then <laughs> like things have gone downhill, but like, I don't know. Anyway, you can always make changes. I guess that's the thing. Like it's really never too late. And yeah. And it was really simple. It was really simple thing. I mean, it's like when I look at so much of the uh, resource, like so many of the resources that you got, like that you put out, it's so many of those things. I'm like, Oh, I did that. Like, I didn't realize that I was doing this, but like, I was just eating real food. Oh. And that was the other thing. There was no fast food. So we couldn't get fast food. I mean, there's like Macca's and th- McDonald's and things there, but they weren't in our neighborhood. So like, couldn't have them, you know? And we ate a lot less, just like pack. We just ate a lot of real food. Yeah. And just over time, it made a really big difference. Wow. That's really cool to hear. I mean, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time living overseas in my early twenties too. And I was just astounded, even fast food, like in Norway, it's different. They use real meat. (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) It's just wild, but like, yeah, just feeling doing the same things even I would do here, sometimes in other parts of the world, just have a dramatically different impact because there's less chemicals, less unhealthy stuff in the food and all of that. Yeah, it's really true. Oh, and I was, oh, the other thing, I was like massively addicted to Diet Coke. So we drank in my household (laughs) growing up. We drank, like we, as a child, I drank Diet Coke as like a seven-year-old. Whoa. And it was like, well, there's no sugar in it. It's diet. And yeah. I was like, well, and at the time, like, to be fair, I think in the early nineties, like, did we really, I don't know that we knew. I don't know. I don't think my parents knew what we, we know now. No. Wait. And like everyone in my family had given up. So like did not drink any soda, but I still did. And I was obsessed with diet Coke and like, I used to drink, I mean, so much of it. And then when we were living there once I had started eating normal food, real food for a while one day. Cause I still, it was very expensive to buy diet Coke there. So I just buy like one little can and that was like my special treat. And one day I opened it and I put, I took a sip of it and I spat it out and I was like, this is, and I had, I had no desire to quit drinking diet Coke. Like I loved it. That was my special treat. And it just, I tasted the, it was just chemicals. And I was like, wow, (laughs) I never I've never drank it again. Like it was, that was it. Yeah. And so, yeah. So then I stopped. So then there was like no soda. And I think that really made a big difference just in my internal health. I know that it did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I so relate with that. When I moved back to, from Norway, I, the two things I noticed was the food tasted like chemicals here in America 
And I, even healthy food seemed like it just tasted different. And then it was the land of the extremes. Like America, it's like you either work out for three hours a day or not at all, or you eat really healthy and you're on some specific diet, or you just binge and you eat whatever the heck you want. Like there's no neat, happy medium. And like having lived in Europe for a year, like I think maybe similar to Australia, like, well, things are really expensive. So a diet Coke, that's going to be a treat. You know, it's a treat, right. it's not an everyday thing or several times a day, but you can still enjoy life, but just not the, the extremes. I yeah, really exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're not pulling into Sonic. Like that was my thing. I would go to Sonic and get like a 44 ounce diet Coke, like sometimes twice a day. And when I think about that, I'm just like, oh, why? <laughs> like, why was that a thing that I was even able to do? Yeah, definitely in excess for sure. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I totally relate. Wow. So, okay. Tell me, so pregnancy, you said was a breeze. Was there anything about pregnancy or being pregnant that you especially liked or that surprised you? So I loved being pregnant. Well, okay. So it was not a breeze. I threw up every single day, like multiple times a day for the first like 12 weeks, wow. which was horrible, but I, that kind of just was over really fast. I don't know. And I was just like, whatever. And then the rest of it, I loved. So. I don't know. I loved my favorite part of being pregnant was when like I could feel Charlotte, my daughter, like when I could feel her moving, but like no one else could yet. And like, she wasn't kicking, you know, hard enough for like anyone else to feel, but it was just us. I, something about that. Sometimes I like still look at her and I'm like, you're that little, you're that little baby who like, you know, kind of just like kicked me and did like somersaults. I loved that. I thought that was so special. Oh yeah. That's really cool. Did Charlotte do the same like movements out of the womb as in the womb? Do you notice? Um, yeah. So a lot of them. Yes. Like when she slept, she would always put her hands like above her head. Like it was this like elbow feeling. And I was like, I felt this before. Like she did this funny thing with her arms. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ruby like would stick her bum up into my like rib cage and curl up, but she still, she'll sleep like that. She'll get into this like ball on her knee, like almost like a sleeping or child's pose and yeah like scooter bum in the air and sleep and I'm like that is what you did inside you of you did that yeah so wild. <laughs> yeah it is yeah I know yeah I think that's so crazy when you like see them yeah moving you're like I felt that before I know what that is oh so special what were any like so you had really intense morning sickness for like those first anything that helped you during that period of time, no. it was just miserable. <laughs> Nothing. It was miserable. So it was winter. So it was like June. So in Australia, that's winter. And we, so the winters are pretty mild, right? Like it didn't usually get below, I don't think it ever got below like 55 degrees, which I know sounds like summer to you probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no heat and no insulation. So the way the buildings are built, it's actually, we, we would go outside to warm up. So we lived on like a fourth floor walk up and it was usually about 50 degrees inside our house during the day. And so I spent, I was doing, I was a full-time grad student at the time and we were on winter break. And so I literally read books and just wrapped up in my quilt. And that was about it. I did not do much. I would walk and get a coffee most days. That was about it. Did you feel prepared for that? Do you feel like, were you expecting that the first 12 weeks would be like that? Or 
No, no, I was not prepared. The only experience I had with like anyone being pregnant was my older sister. And she, I don't think she had extreme. I don't think she had morning sickness, but I wasn't living with her. So I don't even really know. But like, to me, you know, she just like looked normal. No. And calling it morning sickness also have a qualm with that, like have a problem with that. Cause it was all day. <laughs> like all it was day. not just the morning, but yeah, I think it was really hard because like I said, we didn't have a car. And so if I did go somewhere, like if I rode the bus, I would just be like, I learned a lot of mental strength of like, I'm not going to be sick on the bus. And I would just decide that. And I would just like focus on it. And I would, and I never was. So that was like a big win for me. Wow. But yeah, I was not prepared for that. But I also wasn't prepared for how thick and luscious my really thin hair was going to be. So that was a that was a really nice added bonus. I loved my hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that second trimester, right? Like the honeymoon phase or, oh my gosh, yes. it's great. You just, you have all those hormones pumping and you feel like you can do anything and yeah. Oh yeah. I felt awesome. And I kept going to the gym, which was really funny. Cause once I was like showing, cause I usually went to the gym at like 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was me and a bunch of like little old ladies doing, cause I mostly swam yeah. and they were like doing their little water aerobics class. And they would always yell at me and be like, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, my doctor told me it's okay. Oh, that's so <laughs> and they were like, go home and rest. And I was like, no, this is actually good. So I would go and swim most days. And yeah, I loved it. I felt so good until the very like 37 weeks. I got this really bad, like sciatica. I don't know. It was really bad. I could not stand. I could hardly walk and it was awful. But until that happened, honestly, even through the third trimester, I was like, I kind of liked it. That's awesome. So what was healthcare like for you in Australia? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of differences. Yes. So we, so in Australia, there's like national healthcare that everyone has, and that's like the public system. And then they also have a private system that you can buy into because we weren't citizens. We were on the private plan. So we didn't pay like the tax, like we didn't pay the taxes that went to the national healthcare. So we were Mm -hmm. private. So that was luxurious to say the least. It was which is very different from the, I want like the public health plan is very bare bones. A lot of times once people have been through a pregnancy once they actually prefer it because it's cheaper. First of all, you don't have to pay for it, but in the private system. So my OB was just like in her office. I got to have an ultrasound every month. That's just regular. So every time I went in, I had an ultrasound and she did it just like in her office. So there were no like, go see the ultrasound tech and then we'll read it. Like it was just my OB who did everything. That's so different. Just right there. Yeah. Like, how long I had no idea with your doctor. Oh, like an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So then we would just sit in her office and we would just like talk. So I would go and have like the medical part of it. And then I would sit in her office and we would like, I would ask her a million questions and we would like talk about all the things and it was, and it was just her in her office. And so there was very rarely someone waiting. So it just like felt very calm and very like private. And that was really nice. Yeah. And she was really, really wonderful. My doctor, I loved her. And then the hospital was really nice too. So it was just a maternity hospital. So lots of babies and it was just really nice. You could, we stayed for like six nights, maybe. I don't know. I didn't want to go home. It was great. I loved it. 
but they had like 24 seven room service and high tea where like grandparents could come in and see the babies. Wait, they had high tea. <laughs> we did have high tea. Yeah. In this like little room. And I remember, so my mom was there and so we all went. And then as soon as we sat down, so we had like all these little, you know, like tea cakes and chocolates and like things on our plate. And then Charlotte was like, had to eat the second we sat down, obviously. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going back. So I was just like a martyr. Like, I was like, I guess we got to go back to the room. And my mom and Donnie were both like, see ya, we're going to enjoy high tea. So like, I went back by myself. They did bring me a plate. But like yeah. spa. It felt like a spot. It was amazing. And we had classes. Oh my gosh, that was the best part. We had classes every day. So like you would go. And so they had like, just like a breastfeeding class, like the first day that your child was born and you went in and there were like three lactation specialists and they like came and worked with you. And like, they did this whole class. They did a bathing class. So like, I didn't even go. Cause I was like, I'm gonna take a nap. You, you, so I thought you did that. And then there's like a caring for baby. Like they taught us how to like actually swaddle them. And I don't even know other things. And that was like every morning that was our class time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So it sounded like it was first you felt heard or you had time to actually spend with your doctor, ask the questions you wanted to ask. And then it also felt like seems very educational at the same time. Like they actually truly supported you as the mom and even Donnie, right. As the parents. They did. Yeah. And they were really good about like including partners. Oh, and then before, so when I went to tour the hospital, so you go in and like have a hospital tour and then they also sit, like I sat down with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I don't know what their thing was, you know, a mental health professional. And they like walk you through a screening to see if you are at risk for, you know, postpartum depression and things like that. And I did fine on the screening. So they didn't do anything before, but I had a friend who knew she went in knowing like she had had, you know, mental health struggles and she went in and she was like, this is something I'm really worried about. And so they actually like came out to her house before she gave birth and had someone come like talk to her, but they basically like made special arrangements. So her partner could be with her in the hospital through the whole thing and came and did follow-up visits. And so they were really on the ball with that. Wow. Just imagine if every women in America had that type of experience in our hospital system. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. I mean, I really was like, oh, you can see, but I think it's hard to right? because like Australia is 24 million people in the whole country. And so you're talking about a much, much smaller population. So it's like, but sometimes I do, I do feel like I make unfair comparisons where I'm like, well, this wouldn't translate exactly, but we could definitely figure out a way to do better. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of other countries doing different things that we could draw upon. I think sounds like it was an amazing experience overall was, did you have a birth plan? Did birth go according to how you hoped it would? Let's hear about that. Nothing, nothing went according to how I thought it would, but I also ended up not really being bothered by it. I wanted to have a natural birth. That was my plan. I did not in retrospect do a lot to like fortify myself for that plan. I kind of was just like, this is what I'm doing. And that was about it. Like I didn't learn any techniques. Like I didn't do any, you know, any of those things that a lot of people do to prepare, but I was like, oh, that's just what I'm going to do. So I went into the hospital. I actually ended up having to be induced because of my back. So I was losing 
control of my foot. It was a whole thing. Like my nerves were severely compacted and the physio that I was seeing was like very, very concerned that I was going to lose function of my foot on the leg where I was. Yeah, it was really bad. And they were very concerned that Charlotte was going to be very large. She wasn't, she was seven pounds, nine ounces, but they weren't sure. So anyway, all of that, I ended up being induced, which now I probably would have said like, no, I'm good. I'll just wait. But at the time it seemed like, I don't know, it seemed like what I was supposed to do. So I was like, okay. So I went in and I was induced and then I had probably, they broke my water the next morning. So I started having like normal contractions and then they just sped up really, really, really fast. Yeah. And so I was having like every 45 seconds, these like high spike, very intense contractions and nothing was happening. So I was like less than a centimeter dilated, never got, never like after 10 hours hadn't progressed at all. Wow. Yeah. So then Charlotte's heart rate started accelerating. My blood pressure was like through the roof. It was a whole thing. And then I ended up having an emergency C-section late that night. So that wasn't what I had planned at all. But I like to joke that I had the worst of, not the worst of both, but like I had all the pain of a whole day of unmedicated (laughs) contractions and then had a C-section. It's like, I don't even get to say like, and then I had this, you know, gorgeous natural birth. It's like, no, you did all the painful part and then had a C-section, which I don't know. I think like statistically I knew being in the private system. So that is actually a big trade-off in the private health system statistically are like very likely to have a C-section. A lot of them are elective. That's the only way, like if you're in the public system, you can't have an elective. They don't do elective C-sections, I don't think. So anyway, that's why a lot of people choose it. So the numbers are skewed for that, but also just, you know, they don't give you a lot of time, but I had a healthy baby and I was fine. So I don't really... I don't get like some people I think would get very, would be very affected by that. I just never had that strong of feelings about how my baby was born. And so here we are. That's cool. I feel like that's part of your personality though. You just kind of roll with the punches and you're (laughs) able to adapt really quickly. And I think that's cool. And I mean, you were living in another country. Not everyone wants to go live in another country and have a baby in another country. It's true. Actually, one reason I was happy about the induction is because my biggest fear was that I was going to have a baby like on a city bus trying to get to the hospital (laughs) because we had no car. And we, so we had a friend who was like, yeah, just call. But I was like, if it's one o'clock in the morning, like, I'm not going to call this person. I'm not that close to. So when they were like, oh, you can take an Uber because you know what time you're going. I was like, yes, sign me (laughs) up. Can you imagine though having a contraction? I mean, I thought our daughter was going to be born in a car, but on a bus, a city bus. No. And my hospital was like 45 minutes from where I lived. So on the bus, it was like, it was like a 20 minute drive, but like on public transportation, it was going to take you like 45 minutes to get there. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So what were those early days like of motherhood? Ooh. (laughs) Uh, So really just like, I thought I had ruined our lives, like being totally candid. I thought that I, I just had this like feeling of it's going to be like this forever. And I don't think that's a unique feeling. I think a lot of people have that, but I had no concept of 
things get easier and like how quickly they get easier. I was, I don't know. I love, I loved my daughter. We did not bond, I think because of, you know, like the way she was born, I think had a lot to do with that, which would actually... To be fair, so she was born by a C-section, but then they did actually let me do skin to skin immediately in the room. So I did get to do that and I got to spend some time with her. But then I like went off to recovery for like an hour and a half and she was up in the room, you know, and I was on a lot of drugs and like, I'm very sensitive to to painkillers. And so I had no idea what was going on. So it took me a while to really like really bond with her. And so... I would describe the first days as just like a lot of crying, a lot of crying from all of us. Well, not my husband, but from me and Charlotte and feeling like I had just, I had gotten myself into something that I was so unable to do. That's how I felt. Yeah. Just totally unequipped for it. Yes. That's the word. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I can relate with that. I feel like that's really common, especially in the West where we're not always surrounded by mamas and babies. And I've lived in different cultures where it's a totally different scenario, but here I just, I don't feel like I didn't feel equipped going into motherhood, even though I wanted to be a mom, I felt very in over my head very quickly. Yes. Yeah. It was a terrifying feeling. And I, I had a really I mean, I don't know if you want to call it like baby blues, which I feel like is also another like misleading term because I thought that was just like, oh, you know, you just like feel a little uncomfortable or like you don't feel like yourself. And I remember waking up when Charlotte was about six weeks old and waking up one day and being like, oh my gosh, I feel like me again. And that was only like half of it. Like I had another one of those like several months later where I was like, oh wait, no, now I actually feel like me again. But I was in a of fog. Like it was bad. Yeah. I was not, I don't know. I just cried all the time, all the time for no reason. And I like wanted desperately to be happy. And I was just saw, you know, like, Oh yeah. Lots of tears. Oh my gosh. I don't feel like we talk about that first year of motherhood enough of it is so transformative. And I remember being 10 months in and thinking, what the heck did we get? Like, this is my life 24 seven, like no alone time, wanting desperately just to journal and have just a little ounce of quiet. And then our daughter would just start crying. I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) yeah, that happened once we had like moved back. It was the first time I was trying. So we were back in Nashville and Charlotte was like four months old, I think. And my friend had gotten tickets to, uh, like where the symphony plays the soundtrack to Harry Potter. It's like the Harry Potter movie, but then the symphony like plays all the soundtrack. Yeah. So I love Harry Potter. And it was in the, it was like on a Sunday afternoon and I was like, I want to go so badly. And so I was like, I'm going, like I'm doing this thing. And it was the first time I'd been away from her and I just felt so like free and I was so happy. And then my phone was like blowing up at intermission. And I was like, Charlotte had never taken a bottle before and she wouldn't. We were just kind of like, oh, she'll take it. No, she did not. And so she was like, she'd been screaming for hours. And so I had to like get an Uber and leave. I told my friend, I'm so sorry. Like I have to go feed. And I remember feeling so angry. I was like, I wanted 
two hours. I wanted two and a half hours. Like, and I had timed it where I was like, I can go. I won't have to pump while I'm there. Like I fed her right before I left. Like I had this span of time and I couldn't even do that. And I was so mad. So mad. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So stretching. I wish we talked about those moments more. I mean, that's why I want to have this podcast too, is share those moments because it was something I wasn't prepared for. And I mean, and I didn't start to feel like myself. I think it was two years in and I was like, babe, I think I finally feel like myself again. <laughs> yeah. It takes a long time. And I really, whew, I'm just not a newborn person. Like I, it's fun. Like there's fun parts of it. And like, you know, babies are sweet and like, I'll cuddle a baby, but like, that's just not, I, I remember being really worried that I was like, I'm just not cut out to be a mom. But once Charlotte was like, yeah, probably like 18 months old, you know, I was like, oh, this is the part I'm better at. Like this, now we're playing, you know, it's a whole different thing. And like, I'm really fun and I'm really creative. And like, I love taking her on adventures, but like, we couldn't do that for, you know, we're just now really getting into that three and a half years on. So. And I think everyone's different. I mean, I loved newborn. And now I'm like, I don't feel like a creative mom. I, you know, we also are three and a half year old and I'm like, what do I do with her? What crafts do I do? I'm desperately Pinteresting, looking for activities and just not feeling cut out for this stage. But I'm like, oh, when you just get to this age or that age. So I'm learning, how do I just enjoy this moment? Even if I feel completely inadequate for it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, yes. And that's just like how it goes. Cause I'm sure like it changes, you know, then they're in school and it's a completely different thing. As much fun as I have playing with my daughter, like I'm not also like the room mom, you know, like I'm not cut out to be, I was a teacher. So like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I'm like, no, you, <laughs> you go take care of them now. So yeah, I'm sure that just happens at every, at every stage. I'm so glad that we get to grow with them. They're not just teenagers overnight. We get to like slowly grow Thank goodness. together, right? Yes. Yeah. I was talking to a friend who has like a 12 year old and she was like, I feel like now I'm prepared to go back and like actually start. You should have like <laughs> basically 12 years. And she's like, now if I had a newborn, I feel like I could really do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, 12 years. Yeah. That's about how long, right. you know? So if you could go back to like those early moments when you first found out you were pregnant and entering motherhood, what's like one thing you would tell her yourself at that stage that you've learned just in these last four years? I mean, I think the biggest thing I would say, probably two things. One is this is not your life forever. Like it does get better, but then it also gets worse. (laughs) Like right like it's really a roller coaster especially that first year it's like oh you think like sleep's going great and then there's a four-month sleep regression and that's a real thing and it's worse than when they were a newborn and you think like oh well I survived six week old you know peak crying or whatever I think I would tell myself not to follow I was obsessed with the weekly development on the I would read on the internet every publication that put out anything about like the week to week like what to expect yeah. Each week for the first 12 weeks. And I think I would tell myself, like, just don't, don't read that. Just be in the moment and know that it does get better. And then it gets worse again, but then it gets better. And each time, like you're going to make it right. Like yeah, you're totally. going to make it. And then I think the other thing would be like to just be 
more aware of myself. So like I, in retrospect, realized I had really, really bad postpartum anxiety and I had no idea at the time. I think my husband was like, is this normal? (laughs) Are you okay? Like I, when Charlotte was like a couple weeks old, it was the Olympics were going on. And so my mom would stay up with her so I could get rest, but she would watch the Olympics. And I was convinced that the flashing of the TV, because it was like in a dark room, was like going to blind her. And I would, and I got like irrationally angry. And then it was like her little mat that she laid on, you know, like to kick things. My mom would just, she would put extra chains to make them come down lower so she could actually reach them. I don't know. She was like making it more interesting. She'd print it off these, it's like so sweet. She'd print off these like black and white little cards because babies and see black and white and so she had attached them with the little things and hung them on there and I like had an absolute meltdown about how it was overstimulating and it was too much I'm like that's not my personality at all but no one around me was like hey there's probably something actually like no one said anything people just tried to like accommodate me and I realize now oh I actually had pretty bad like postpartum anxiety for about six months like after and then it kind of has you know dissipated from there but I had no idea so I think I would tell myself to be like into you know like pay attention to yourself because I think I just never I did not give myself a single thought it was just like you have to do this suck it up the the baby is what matters and I didn't you know, to me now, I'm like, how did I not see that? But I just wasn't looking, like I wasn't paying attention. Right. And our culture, right? So much emphasis goes on baby. And I mean, mom gets left behind often. What support do you wish you would have had that you didn't have? I wish I had had like a postpartum doula. Like I wish I had had someone who was like there to like focus on me and help with those things. I didn't know that existed, but like, I really, really wish someone who like was a neutral third party, right? Because my mom was there, which was great in one sense, but then we have our, you know, like we have our own issues and I'm still her child. And then she's weirdly possessive, not possessive, that's the wrong word, but like, you know, she feels her grandchild, that's her grandchild. So she has a whole thing, right? Yeah. And, and so styles, right? Different generations. Yeah. All of that. And we were all in this like 700 square foot apartment in a different, you know, like trying to like make it happen. And I think we did great for like what we had, but I just wish there had been a neutral third party who could have stepped in and told me like to rest. I didn't rest. I didn't do any of that. My physio was like, you have to be on bed rest for a week. And I did it for like maybe 12 hours. And I was like, forget this. This is terrible. Yeah. Cause like my whole back, like my whole sciatica issue continued, right? It didn't just go away when Charlotte was born. Like I still was in significant pain and it had a, you know, a major abdominal surgery that I just kind of didn't pay attention to having and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think I would really, that neutral person whose job is to like focus on you and your baby would have been really great. Yeah, totally. I just feel like all the support we can get, especially postpartum, the better. And I like what you said, the neutral, like a neutral party who they're there to advocate for you and kind of fill in the gaps, but also see blind spots, right? Because we're so focused on baby and we're too tired to do anything too, right? 
Yeah, exactly. And I remember my husband, like my mom left about three weeks after, I guess. Oh, and then my, my sister and my aunt came to visit. So when Charlotte was three weeks old. Oh, wow. And they were exploring Australia and it was great. Like, and I, I was so happy, like they wanted to come meet her and it was really great. But at the same time, I was like, I don't want to entertain people. And they were so low maintenance. Like they didn't stay with me. You know, they yeah. didn't expect, they didn't expect anything from me, but I felt a responsibility, even though they weren't putting that responsibility on me, I still right. felt it to like show up. And so that was like a whole thing. And someone, oh, but we were like, so my mom left and we were like, she, well, she wasn't even, what was she even doing? And then we were, she left and we were like, oh, everything. <laughs> like she was, she was the person who was cleaning everything. She was making all these meals. She was doing our laundry. And we were like, we didn't even notice it was happening, you know? And so then when she was gone, we we're like, well, what, what do we do now? And it really was just the two of us. We did not have a support network. We didn't have any close friends with kids, like nothing. So it's just the two of us and this tiny little baby. So that's why we moved back because it yes. was too hard. <laughs> There's so something to be said about being close to family and having that support. But I think so many of us, whether, you know, you're military, you just moved across the country or, you know, that's not really a reality for most families in our country. It's really not. No. Wow. Well, this has been so fascinating, Emily. Like I love hearing your story things you've processed and learned over time. Is there any things you want to share before we wrap up this conversation? Um, you know, honestly, I think, so it's funny. So in my job, I talk to like business owners all the time about like finding your voice and you have to like own your voice and be yourself. And I think that's so true for mothers too. There's not just one kind of mother. Like I've become so much more confident and I've enjoyed being a mom so much more when I have embraced my version of it, which isn't ever going to be, it's not going to be a lot of things, but it is also right. It's my own brand of motherhood. And so I guess that's just like, if I could share anything with anyone becoming a mom or in the middle of it, embrace your own version of what motherhood is supposed to look like own your mom brand or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like I think you'll just be so much happier and there's so much less self-doubt. My kids never, she doesn't wear really cute matchy clothes. She wears play shorts. Like that's too much for me. I can't handle it. (laughs) So like, that's not part. And so like before I think I would see moms, like my friends whose kids have huge bows and monogrammed outfits. And I'm like, Oh, that's so cute. I'm a bad mom. Cause I don't do that. Now I'm like, that's great that that works for you. My kid's going to be running around in a t-shirt and some gym shorts. And she's just as happy. Oh, I love that. I mean, yeah, I love the quote, like comparisons, the thief of joy. And so I just feel like what you're saying about owning motherhood, right? It's taking that comparison out the window so that you can truly enjoy it too. That's so powerful. Well, that's cool. So I know there's a lot of women listening who will resonate with your story or want to come see like your copywriting services. What's the best way to get in touch with you and to connect in with you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram all the time at Emily writes well. That's the name of my business and that's everything. So my website is emilywriteswell.com. And then I'm on Instagram. That's usually the best place to find me. And I share, I don't know, I tend to share some stuff about like Charlotte and like, you know, regular life over there too. So that's fun. She's like your little assistant. I love it when you share her coming (laughs) into the office and 
yes, she's, <laughs> she helps. She's a big help, but she loves to, uh, she discovered the keyboard. And so she's, it took her, I think maybe like 12 minutes, but she typed her name the other day and she was very proud of herself. Ooh. I mean, with a lot of help, but yeah, she <laughs> does really love to, she always comes in. She's like, mommy, are you on a call? Yes. You want to come say hi? She always does. So yeah, she's my little assistant. Oh, she's so sweet. Well, this has been so fun and such a pleasure just to hear your story, spend some time with you and just thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think it's really, really awesome. Just having a platform and hearing, you know, if I had had this podcast to listen to, I would have felt a lot less alone. Like even being 9,000 miles from my family, it would have really been great. So I just love that you're putting all of this out there for us. Well, I feel so honored and just, yeah, so inspired by you too, Emily. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kelly. Well, that's it for this episode of the Nourish Motherhood podcast. It is such an honor to journey with you each and every single week. If you love this podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us an honest review. It helps us get this show in front of more amazing women like yourself. Thanks, friend, and we'll see you next week.